Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Okay, so the first 200-meter semifinal in the books. Canadian Aaron Brown will not advance. He finished uh, seventh. Andre de Grasse, Usain Bolt coming right up. They're going to be running uh, next to each other, lane five for de Grasse and lane four for uh, Bolt. Top two will make the final automatically. I would uh, think it would be those two gentlemen advancing out of this heat, but... We will let you know. Kevin Carius is uh, on his way over from the palatial global television studio as uh, he's going to join us as he does every Wednesday from 7 to 8. We will bring in Ian McLean from the uh, Edmonton Wildcats as we'll, we'll once again have a bit of a junior football theme. Uh, well, not a bit. It will be a junior football theme when Ian is on. We had the uh, Wildcats coach Darcy Park on last week. They had their uh, first game and home opener. The Huskies were on the road. Now they're going to be at home this weekend. Uh, Unfortunately, both teams lost, so they'll be trying to jump back into the win column here. uh, So Damian Warner is second in the decathlon halfway through. Ashton Eaton, the American, is first. So Canada looking good for a medal. A lot can happen in the decathlon. Obviously, a very difficult event, but uh, we'll we'll uh, see how that goes tomorrow. The Toronto Blue Jays this afternoon, winning seven four over the New York Yankees. Your scoreboard is presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can call three ten Glass today. Jay Happ, the win, first guy in the majors to get to seventeen wins. He is seventeen and three on the season. He struck out nine today. His last loss was June 6th, like 10, 11 weeks ago. Melvin Upton Jr. had a a three-run homer in the game. Josh Donaldson was removed after the game, or from the game after six innings. He jammed his thumb on a ground out to second base. Also, uh, an altercation in the dugout after Donaldson struck out between Donaldson and manager John Gibbons. Uh, Gibbons was asked about it after the game. What, what happened in the dugout between the two of you? Yeah, but that's none of your business. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I, I told him after that first bat, you know, get a new bat, that one ain't working. I took the same one up there a second time. That didn't work, he chose to break it, so I went down and told him, should have listened to me. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was basically it. Did he? After that, I guess uh, he never well, he, he had to get a new one. All right, so uh, Kevin Carius is here from Global. Hey, Kevin. 
How's it going, Reed? Little doing great. Did you run over? Well, we're gonna talk running later on in the show. There we go. Oh. Like, okay, DeGrasse and Bolt were talking to each other as they hit the finish line. By the looks of it, they were so that's, far ahead. It's about how fast I was running up here. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> you, you are the Usain Bolt of global television. Yes. Uh, Remember, uh, one of the first things Brian Hall said to me: never ever run to a microphone. Really? Yeah. That's actually good advice. Well, you're out of breath, right? Yeah. yeah you didn't have to run to get in here, but I do, appre- well. I do appreciate how eager you are to savor every second with me. <laughs> okay, so I was just setting this up. You, I, I, I mean, obviously, don't get, we, this is the thing we don't get to watch, listen to I each other. I watched the game this afternoon. You, so you saw the little altercation. So I just played the, the uh, Gibbets clip. Here was uh, Donaldson asked about it after the game. You know, I mean, I just come back to the dugout and hit my bat against the thing, and you know, Gibby asked me what kind of cologne I was wearing. <laughs> And I said, I said, it's this new clone called Tom Ford. I just got it. He's like, really? Oh, so he kind of got pretty close to me and I guess got a good whiff of it. And I was like, hey, man, back up. <laughs> so uh, I was like, I'll give you some after the game. So then we separated. All right, so they're deflecting it. Donaldson's joking around about it. Well, what's interesting here, though, is do you remember when John Gibbons was the manager of the Blue Jays the first time? Mm-hmm. 2006, he uh, cha- uh, reportedly, it was in a team meeting, but reportedly challenged Shea Hillenbrand to a fight because Hillenbrand wrote, this ship is sinking on the whiteboard in the locker room, okay. which is a dumb thing for a player to yeah. do. And then remember, he, him and Ted Lilly got into it in the... They, on the right on the mound, coming off the mound sort of, right? I mean, if, what? yeah. Well, yeah, they were they were lipping at each other on the mound, and yeah. then there was a physical altercation. Down, it's weird. I, well, I think Gibbons is the type of guy that has that short fuse, and if he gets set off, it's it's over. And I'm glad that those all the other players got in there quickly today. Could have escalated a lot more. Could have been like a Jonathan Papelbon, uh, well, Bryce Harper situation. Could have yeah. been. Yeah. Uh, well, and you don't want the manager no. involved in that. But you, as the manager, as soon as you someone questions your authority. Your back gets up, right? Yep. And that goes with anything. So uh, I'm just glad that it was kind of put under control, and now they're making light of it. So I, hopefully by tomorrow it's just a done deal. I mean, a first-place team, playoff-caliber team. So it's it's just weird. Uh, and, I mean, probably someday somebody will say exactly what was. Well, maybe not. But so, yeah, if, if people didn't see this or they're just hearing about it, I mean, Donaldson goes back after striking out and he slams his bat on the kind of the railing right the mesh kind of area the mesh, Yankee yeah. Stadium and that's how it comes comes down on the out of the dugout out front yeah and and yeah and and it was right sort of in front of Gibbons and I don't know maybe maybe he got ended up like uh Taylor Hall Dallas Aikens got a little splash or something yeah dirt on him or something I, I mean do you wonder if he said I mean, I mean, he, he, I, I don't think he said that's okay, bud, because then you wouldn't think Donaldson reacted that way. So he must have said something like "calm down" or "grow up." Yeah, and if you say "grow up" to a guy, that's probably right. Yeah, I, I, it, who knows what was said? No one, no one will ever. No, I'm know. just kind of but playing a lot. Hopefully, because of the situation after the game, where Donaldson made light of it, cracked a few jokes, and should have said he was wearing high karate or something like that. <laughs> Uh, you know, and then hopefully they can move on because you don't want anything like this festering with your star player. Your well, he's the guy. best player in the league. You know, and you, that's the last thing that this team needs going down the stretch. Forty-five games or so left. Yeah, I, I did, it, it's just interesting that like uh, Gibbons is past with this, and you know. Now, Twitter isn't the be-all, end-all, but, man, there are some Blue Jays fans out there who can't stand Gibbons. Like, there's some guys who legitimately think he's an incompetent manager. 
and that's been going on for a long time. But yeah. when you're winning, everything's okay. If they were losing, he'd be long gone. And that, that goes without saying. Sure. You know, you're right. He isn't very well received with the public with a lot of the decisions he makes and things like that. Um, I'm glad the whole Sanchez thing kind of got right. sort of smoothed out. Um, we'll see how that progresses with the, the last uh, six weeks of the schedule. But hopefully, as I said, this thing gets put to bed and, uh, you know, the, we'll have a few yucks about it tonight. And uh, tomorrow, Donaldson comes out. Hopefully, his thumb's okay, first of right, all. Right, yeah, he left they the haven't, game. Said, I haven't he, seen any yeah, updates he, on it. He so. left the game after, yeah. you know, after a kind of a swing and a check swing kind of thing uh, off a Sabathia pitch. and you know, I sort of just aggravated a little bit, so hopefully he's okay. I mean, sports are, uh, are are different like that because it seems more in baseball you see teammates or a teammate or a player or manager get into it because I guess in the dugout you're not doing much. I mean, hockey, who knows? Guys could be yelling at each other, but there's so much to watch, and I mean, a player could <laughs> yell over back over his shoulder, okay, back off, you know, and then the coach might be like, okay, I, think, I, I can't challenge the guy and turn him around, right? Yeah, so, I, almost every sport is like that, I think, yeah. so. Uh, I mean, certainly, no, you know, football, you've seen guys lip off, maybe not so much at their yeah. head coach, but maybe their position coach. Absolutely. Or you see teammates. It's heat of the moment, right? You know, it's tough. Your emotions are running high. I mean, they're in the, in the, in the midst of a very tough pennant race right now, and they're going to be like that for the next six weeks because uh, it's going to be close all the way down. I haven't been uh, following the Blue Jays as closely, more, you know, reading the reports mm-hmm. and looking at the box scores because the Olympics have, have been on, and uh, it's been fun and the time zones aren't that far apart and obviously a lot of the events are scheduled for american tv whether yeah. we like it or not which is why things go so late well i, I actually enjoyed watching the blue jays game today you sat down some. and watched all of it eh? yeah well yeah. because i mean it was a break from the olympics for me to, <laughs> and it was really because you know you got an 11 o'clock start so that's how i looked at it uh i should ask you this and this is a little bit of a behind the scenes uh thing but i, I think people will still find this interesting it relates to our jobs uh, and people probably know this. There are, shall we say, severe and strict broadcast limitations <laughs> on the Olympic Games. Oh boy! So for uh, for I mean, we we're even told be careful what interviews you run. You know, make sure you're not pulling it off a, a, a web. I mean, certainly we get Canadian press stuff, and uh, if we have a guest, I mean, I had Ann Merklinger on, who's right. the CEO of one. We can have her on the show. Uh, but it's it's harder for TV, isn't it? Television is. If you don't have any broadcast rights, you almost concede, basically do. Uh, We're just allowed to run pictures. Uh, For instance, though, say the DeGrasse race, we could run his bronze medal race. We could run that because of the time it happened. We could run it 24 hours after it happened, but not more than 48 hours. It used to be. Here was the funniest thing that, that was going on in broadcast restrictions years ago in the Olympics and was changed, I would say, probably two or three Olympics ago. The, 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 the broadcast rate stated you were not allowed to use more than one-third of any said event. Yes. So if you had the 100 meters, you could run technically, let's go 3.33 seconds <laughs> of the race. So like, how, what are you supposed to run? You can't even say anything about it. So. Yeah. Uh, that got changed to then you can run just because it was just so outlandish. But you're not allowed to to use a certain amount of, of minutes after said 24 hours, and then you can't run anything after 48. And what what really bothers me actually is more so, and it hurts the Olympics, and it hurts even uh, the stations and and broadcasters that have the rights. 
so after the 48 hours after whatever we can't ever run anything again of andre degrasse's race that's right you can't use ever it's called again. b-roll yeah ever again yeah so like if we want to do a story on him if he moves to edmonton yeah so say next year <laughs> he comes here again for track down classic and he comes again for say qualifying or whatever it is we can't run any of the highlights of his race from the 100 meters on sunday night yeah then it just doesn't make sense to me because see what you're doing then like after the fact you're still promoting who ran the race because you still have to run a courtesy cbc courtesy whatever tsn or sportsnet so you are giving them the credit but it doesn't make sense to me yeah kevin carius from global television in studio and inside sports he's with us every uh, wednesday from seven to eight gary the mailman has uh, texted in saying he's used voice to text so, Gary, how to be up on the latest technology, first of all. He says, uh, hey, guys, how do they decide the lanes they're going to run in? Uh, because every race, it came through as the grass instead of the grass. Uh, and both have uh, run side by side. Okay, here's what they do. I don't know how they decide for the first heats, but the when they move, when they advance guys through, the fastest qualifiers run in lanes four and five. Then the next two, three, and six. So in in a in a race for swimming or track and field, the the favorites, mm-hmm. so to speak, are usually in the middle four lanes, often in the middle two. Now Bailey was in lane six in '96, so he let he laid off a little bit in the semifinal. DeGrasse and Bolt, two of the best qualifiers in the 200 meters, so they were in the middle lanes. I don't know if it matters as much in track, uh, but no, in swimming it sure does because of the wake that's created. So you want to be on the inside. If you're on the outside in swimming, if you're in lanes one or eight, you're getting a little bit of that wake that's coming out from those other swimmers in lanes, whatever, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So if you're one and eight, that's it's a little tougher swim. Track, I don't know if it matters. Yeah, as much. I mean, I'd I'd like to ask a guy that in terms of seeing your competitors, uh, yeah. but I, they they can probably kind of feel them. They know how they started. If it's bolts, you're looking behind yeah, you anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, checking out his rear end. Yeah. Well, what do you what? Well, okay, I'll, I'll save this for you when we get back sure. about who's having, uh, judging the, the greatest Olympian. I'll give you a couple thoughts okay, and I'll sure. tee up, Kevin, yeah. when we get back. 719 Inside Sports on Chet. This is JC Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. a good text. Uh, the lanes in the track matter due to how tight the corners are. The inside lanes are harder as the corner is very tight. Fair enough. So 200, for not for 100. 200, 400, sure. Yeah, we all knew that. But that's good insight because, yeah. heck, we, we haven't we don't sprint that off. Exactly. Uh, okay, so here's where I want to go, Kevin. In the in the and then Ian McLean's coming up after 7:30, so we'll do a little more junior football, and we want to get into some other stuff. And, and I was golfing with a couple of guys this this morning, and you know they found out what I what I do for a living, and they and they said, has anybody asked about who the who's having the better Olympics? I said, yeah, well we've you know I've talked about it a little bit. Michael Phelps, incredible. This Olympics and past Olympics, Usain Bolt, dominant. I said it's it for me it's hard to compare because there are more events in swimming. Now Phelps excels at all the strokes because he does the medleys and stuff, so he's pretty well rounded. He has more opportunities, and then I said, take, a, take an event like, well, to use a summer sport, let's take women's soccer. Let's just say, hypothetically, Canada won three consecutive gold medals in women's soccer. They play six games in a tournament, and Christine Sinclair got 12 goals every year, two goals per game. 
but she can only win one medal. So you know what I mean? Like, do you just count medals? Do you look at how dominant they were? It's it's an interesting debate. It is, uh, but I think I would I would if go if I'm voting. If you have to have one vote and you can't go 50-50, sure. I'm going Bolt. Uh, only because Phelps, with all the relays, adds to his totals and it adds to what he's accomplished. Not taking anything away from 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 him at all, but uh, what Bolt's done is remarkable. And I think just the track and field thing is is a lot more exciting for me to watch than swimming. See, well, it does, it's not always great radio when we agree. But if I had to pick one, I would pick Bolt. Right because of how dominant he is. I mean, even he won basically the 100 by a tenth of a second. That's actually quite a bit yeah. in the 100 meters. And he let up. And he let up. And he only has, like you said, the one relay, which they win largely because of him right. <laughs> anyway. And, yeah, I was surprised with the swimming. I don't think there was always a 4 by 200 freestyle relay. It's like they're just yeah. adding relays. Well, they to just add events. You know, yeah. Again, as we said last week, I'd like to see synchronized javelin toss. <laughs> That would be beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to me, Bolt, so th- and, and three straight in that discipline is... And that's the marquee event of oh. the Olympics. So you got to give them that. Uh, you can text us at 630-630, by the way. Kevin Carius in studio, the phone number is 780-496-0063. And, it, and it, it, to me, it's a fun debate. And, and then you kind of sound like you're belittling the other guy. But we're splitting hairs saying Phelps, this, this, and this. Here's the thing with Phelps. What if he comes back in 2020? Well, It just keeps going. But Bolt could too still. So You're right. You Bolt know, very so well could too. You never know. I, mean, I think that'd be great for the Olympics. Would be absolutely outstanding. Like Bolt could. You know, they'd be 35 and 33. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, Bolt could lose uh, five hundredths of a second off his peak and still, exactly. <laughs> still be, still well, be a medal threat. For sure, he'd be the gold medal threat. Yeah, uh, you think Canada's going to pull it out in the four by one relay? Ooh, it's coming gonna, up. It's going to be a bronze, maybe. Yeah, maybe a bronze. You never know. Again, you got to run the race, but they've got they've got a lot of talent there. Still, there's so many other great countries, and when you look at uh, Bolt again, I mean, that's just uh, the, the the X factor right there. All right, before we break, I asked Kellen Kennedy this this last half hour. You would have still been on air. Uh, can you name the ten decathlon events in order? Not in order, but I could probably get them all done. Well, 100 meters to start. Yeah. Uh, long jump. Yeah. Uh, high jump. Yeah. Uh, that's fourth. Yeah. Well, that's fourth. Okay. Uh, what was third? Shot put. Shot put. Okay. And then it ends with the 400, which they did. Okay. What's day two? What's tomorrow? Uh, hurdles. Hurdles is first. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll just go discus. Yeah. Jo- no, javelin would be ninth probably. Yeah. Uh, pole vault, pole eight, vault eight, and then obviously and the, then the 15s at the end. Or as yeah. Kellen said, that's the, th- the thousand that's meters. That's my favorite event. The decathlon is by far. That's the best athlete in the world. I agree. That's the world's favorite. greatest athlete. Yeah. Yep. Daley Thompson, remember? Well, oh, we were yeah, a teenager. Sure. Yeah, I was yeah. a kid. Was and I remember he was awful in the 1500 meters. Yeah. He was always last, he but he was lead. so far ahead. But he needed that big lead. You're listening to 6:30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, 
Thanks for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. Kevin Carius from Global Television is here, and I'm glad you are here as well. You can always reach us by texting 630-630. Our phone number is 780-496-0063. This portion of the show is presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. Kevin, thanks again for coming in, buddy. Always good to be here. Uh, so DeGrasse is through uh, what seems like a long time ago now. The men's volleyball team out against Russia. Tough 3-0. Yeah. That was tough. You thought that they could get by that one, see what would happen in the semifinals. I think a little bit of a disappointment, especially 3-0. Well, that's the thing. And I mean, I had Terry Danilik on last yeah. night. He said, well, you never know. The Russians are missing a big seven-footer in the middle. So, but uh, I mean, those, those volleyball matches... Um, with Rowley Point, which right. I still call it new, people laugh at me because <laughs> when I played high school volleyball in the 90s, you played the 15 and you had to serve to score. Yeah. If, so with this Rowley Point, if it's 25-20, that's actually not a close game. Not really. You, you know no. what I mean? Like, yeah, if, exactly. if it's 25-17, it was a, a, a wipeout. Yeah. Uh, Ian McLean is the head coach of the Edmonton Huskies junior football team. Ian, thanks for making time for us. You're on with Kevin and Reed. How are you doing, man? Great, guys. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I I'm going to dive right uh, right in here with the first question about uh, your first game of the season, a 15-6 uh, loss to the Thunder. And uh, uh, do you feel maybe you, you gave that one away a bit, or what happened there? Well, I mean, Regina's a good team. They're one of the top teams in the league every year. I mean, it's a fun part of the PSC is all teams are competitive. Our defense played a hell of a game, and we just had some – Issues connecting on offense. I mean, that's the nature of this time of the year. The defenses seem to be ahead of the offenses, but it was disappointing when you had that production from your defense and not coming away with the W. Was there a touchdown scored in that game at all? Uh, they had two, and they uh, okay. I think they got the ball on about the 30-yard line both times. So they got two, and it was uh, it was three-two at halftime. So it looked like a really great hockey game at that point in time. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the offense, uh, Ian. You bring in uh, Rick Walters as offensive coordinator. Uh, he was head coach a few years back there. But uh, what's that transition been like, and what have you seen uh, from Rick and his philosophy on the offensive side of the ball? Well, it's been really good on, on a number of different factors, not just offensively. Uh, for myself, it's helped recharge my batteries and give me some extra motivation to have some of the battles that I've, I haven't had for the last couple of years just for the sake of sanity. And he's really pushed pushed of how we're doing things, why we're doing things the way we are, and been a great support for that. And offensively, we have some great stuff conceptually, and we're seeing things in practice and in-game. A lot of good stuff developing and stuff we can take advantage of. It's just getting your guys together and making sure they're meshing. we got a lot of new players and not a lot of new starters. And so it's having them mesh together. And that's that's taking a bit of time, but it'll be exciting when it comes together. What kind of philosophy does Rick has uh, have as an offensive coordinator? Oh, everything's pretty quick-paced. I mean, we were on the ball pretty quickly. We're trying to get a lot of plays in and, and trying to use our skill sets for our strengths. Uh, I'm a big believer, unless you're coaching in the CFL, it's pretty hard to be a system coach. Mm -hmm. I can't go draft a certain position or go sign a free agent. I have to develop the guys that I have and run a system based on who we have. And, and Rick believes in that strongly as well. So it's finding our strengths and running with them. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the defenses are, are ahead of the offenses earlier in the season. The tough part for you guys, it's it's a nine-game season. Used to be eight. They've they've added the the ninth game. So so I mean, by what point do you think okay, the offense has to start to to figure it out here now? You don't have the you don't have the luxury of uh, you know oh by, by Labor Day like they might the CFL right? No, no, definitely not. No, if if it's by Labor Day, that's probably not a good thing for our season. <laughs> you know what? When you're watching the film, you're seeing a lot of stuff from the film last weekend of 
near misses of stuff that would have, if one thing would have happened differently, it's a big play. If a ball had been thrown a bit differently, if a guy would have run his route better, would have seen good things. So it's going to come quickly. I mean, we're already seeing in practice this week. It's a little bit crisper. Guys have a lot of confidence coming out of that game. We competed really well against them right to the very end. And so that's giving guys a lot of confidence, especially knowing that Regina is a good football team. And we don't have an easy test this weekend against against the Hilltops. So it's it's going to come together. and it's, it's fun to see it come together, too. That's a 1 p.m. on Sunday against Toon? You betcha. All right. Now, Ian, you were on both. Were you on both national championship teams as a player in 04 and 05? Yes, I was. All right. So, I mean, the, the Huskies mean a lot to do, a lot to you. You're, you're coaching the team. Um, you, know, you know, last year was, was tough for, for both Edmonton junior football teams. Uh, I know, I, I mean, full disclosure, you and I talked during the day a little bit when you're going to come on, and, he said, and you said you can ask me a little bit about culture. That can be a bit of an elusive word, though, and hard to define depending on the team and the circumstance. What does culture mean to you this year? Well, and that's the thing that it's tough with that word because it gets thrown around a lot. And in reality, every person, every team, every organization has a culture. It depends on what type of culture you have. If you have a culture that's okay with mediocrity, your guy's putting in half-time effort or coach is putting in half-time effort, that's the result you're going to breed. And that's the thing that's been a big challenge this off season in changing how we do things, changing what the expectations are of our coaches, of our players. And that's taken a lot of our off-season. It's been, we went and sat down after last season and realized this is not what we want to be this is not the record we can have and we're not we need to make sure that we're developing good young men and also good football players and good football teams so we went and looked at our mission our vision our values and and what this team stands for why we have coaches giving up basically their lives for four months of the year and asking so much of our players and and that's been a big thing that we've used for making our roster our coaching staff for everything it's guys that fit that culture fit what we're asking to do in the weight room in the community and that's meant saying goodbye to some players that are good football players and saying maybe there's a better program for you because you don't quite fit with what we are. And that doesn't mean you're a bad guy. It means that we want to have a specific type of player to come in and do the work on this team. Sounds good. Did you have a lot of roster turnover, and how did recruiting go uh, for this uh, Recruiting season? was good. I mean, it's it's always fun with two junior teams in the city. It makes it that much more difficult. Um but in a good way. I mean, there's 70 players playing here that wouldn't be if there's only one team. So we've had good guys come in we've had a lot of we i think we counted we had 17 new starters on offensive defense last week last year uh the turnover was it's always a fairly high turnover for every team now we've got i mean guys graduating going to cis guys pursuing career aspirations or life aspirations or football doesn't quite fit in uh but we're happy with the guys that we have speaking of of culture and you mentioned you're trying to build young men as well as football players tell me a little bit about the uh the violence prevention program that you guys uh, have been a part of yeah so that's something that i'm really proud of and that's something that i mean rick walters has to take a big deal of credit for that and getting us connected uh the entire offseason our entire organization so board players coaches have been a part of a gender-based violence prevention program and that's been done out of cooperation with the u of a and it's been talking to our players in real world terms about what that means, how they can prevent it, how they can be advocates for doing what's right, how they can be people to stand up for when they see something going on, um, making sure that they're an example. And that's not just necessarily when you're in a situation where that's happening, but that's in your language, in the jokes you tell, things like that. And it's been really good for our players to, to go through that as a, as a team building exercise, because they spent probably 70 hours in the classroom together going through these sessions. And seeing how it's changed, even the verbiage in our meetings, how guys talk to one another on the field. It's been really cool to see. 
and a really good program for, all, for everybody to go through. That's outstanding. How has it been received by the players? Really well. Uh, I mean, like you said, I, I played on this team better part of a decade ago, which seems crazy, but mm-hmm. that's, that's how long. Apparently I'm getting old. Um, and just seeing how the guys are open to speaking about things like that, talking to each other about serious, not just football issues. In the mid, you know, like you say, when you won those back-to-backers and, and uh, you had basically right, really running the show in uh, junior football and then the Wildcats came on uh, later and a few years later, but we've had that lull in junior football. How do we get junior football back in Edmonton to where it is a lot more prominent than what it is right now? Well, I think there's a couple aspects to that. I mean, we have three post-high school football teams in the city. And the days of us fighting like cats and dogs and trying to one-up each other at everything uh, are over and need to be over. And it needs to be a cooperation between all three programs. And I think you're seeing that. Uh, there's the Northern Alberta Football Summit that all three teams participate in. And that's under the guidance of Ed Hervey and the Edmonton Eskimos. And it's been amazing to see the conversations about how do we make football better for everyone in Northern Alberta? And from that, how do we develop our programs and all three programs? Darcy and I talk all the time. We would love nothing more than for it to be like 2006 where the two teams are playing in the PFC Championship. And that wasn't that long ago. So it's fostering an environment where players want to be here, don't want to go and play uh, a lower level of football in BC and going and, and being at home and developing in a program that's going to help them for their future. And having the things built in for the players, whether it be job connections, work connections, school connections, where they can come in here and develop as football players and develop as young men. Where are you on that curve for a turning around, Ian? Well, it's been a good year for that. We uh, we have had a lot of turnover, but we have an older roster than we've had in quite a while. So we've had a lot of our guys come back for their fourth and fifth year, uh, guys who had the opportunity to go to CIS, but either they weren't ready life-wise and school-wise, or they wanted to finish what they started here. So that's part of it. And then it's the development. One of the things that we've done this year is we um, have a training program, actually, with the Edmonton Eskimos working with their strength and conditioning coach. And our guys are in the gym there three times a week at Commonwealth, and they're getting trained the same way the Eskimos are. And them seeing those things and developing not only obviously the speed and strength that we need to see on the field, but also seeing that they can develop as players here, and that'll help them whether they go to CIS or whether they have a chance at CFL. That's been a huge part of it. All right, Ian, before we let you go, uh, the home opener, uh, 1 p.m. Sunday against Saskatoon. Tell us what we can expect from that one. Give us a bit of a scouting report. Well, Saskatoon is a perennial powerhouse, and this this may be a rebuilding year, but I would love to have a rebuilding year like that. <laughs> uh, they got a fifth-year quarterback and one of the best running backs in the in the country, so they have a heavy run-based offense and a good offensive and defensive line. And what it's going to come down to is is a scouting of it and making sure that our defense can adapt to what they're going to do to take advantage of our defense and how we can take away take that away. And like any game in I think in football, it's going to come down to the offensive and defensive lines and see you can control the line of scrimmage, control the pocket, and let, let the offense do its work and have our defense put the pressure on so that their offense can't do what they want to do. Well, if you can allow 15 again, you'll be yeah. in good shape. you gotta, you got to score more than six, obviously. So it's, thanks for telling us about everything you've been doing, Ian. That is some great stuff, and I know we'll do this again uh, throughout the season with you or some of your guys as well. Really appreciate um, it, man. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you guys soon. I appreciate the support, and yeah, if I come out on Sunday, it'll be a good show. Yeah, good luck on Sunday. Thanks. Good. That is Ian McLean checking in. So 1 p.m. Sunday against Saskatoon. The Wildcats, who lost 23-3 to the Calgary Colts, will be in Winnipeg on Saturday, both trying to get in the win column.
you know, I'd, I'd love that he talked about culture. And uh, as you know, Kevin, I've done the Oilers broadcast, mm-hmm. pre and post game show for the last th- three years. You've heard that they've word missed a the playoff. Times. And I mean, it, and, and I and I I, I, I I hated to do this sometimes because I, I I try not to sound overly argumentative with people, but people call and say, "Well, the Oilers have a losing culture," and I finally said, "Well, like, what does that mean?" Okay, we know that they are losing. We know that they are losing, but don't just throw the word culture around. But Ian kind of broke it down there. It's a lot of little things. It's expectations. It's it's accountability. It's, it's a catchword of what's happened in the last four or five years. Someone brought it up once, and now everybody uses it. Right. Just like the 200-foot game. It was <laughs> never, no one ever, you know, uh, take away his time and space. Have you ever heard a coach on the bench yell out, take away his time and space, take away his time and space? It's never happened in the history of hockey. <laughs> it's foursome. Get on them. You know, yeah. it's just the that catch word that happens every year or whatever, and that's people run with it. And in a few years, you won't hear the word culture anymore in hockey. Or yeah, and I fall into that trap with some, yeah. some of the things. Too. And, and, and people still, the, the, the odd listener still will text me in jokingly about it because I'm coming up on three years doing inside sports, and one of the first kind of tangent rants I went on was how I hate the phrase play the right way. Well, you got to play the right way <laughs> because to me, that's the end result. And I'm saying there's, I, I understand it's about details and, and but, but uh, I'm like, don't tell me, don't tell me the team needs to play the right way. Tell me what the ingredients are that equal that. And but then also recognize that those ingredients are different for every team. Mm-hmm. Playing the right way could be different for the Calgary Flames than for the Chicago Blackhawks because their rosters are composed differently. Just like uh, your best players have to be your best players. That's I hate that one as well. Yeah, well, aren't they already your, your best so players? Do your mediocre players have to be your <laughs> mediocre players? <laughs> That's like, right. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> come on. Again, someone came up with yeah. that phrase, and the whole media, everyone runs with it. So. Right. So, if, like, if, if, if Mark Letestu has a three-point game, i got to go to him this year and say, hey, Mark, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, because you're just a you're, mediocre. You're not you're, a yeah. star. What are you doing? Uh, you're not one of the best players, so you can't be the best player. Uh, it's 747. Kevin Carius, Reed Wilkins with you on Inside Sports. Morley Scott is coming up uh, as well. We're going to talk about golf and supermodels when we get back. Oh. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, uh, some texts to 630, 630. Steve says the Oilers need to play the right way, and he puts several exclamation marks <laughs> after it, so I assume he's joking around. Uh, uh, this person, who of course didn't sign their name, says it's you media guys who use these stupid phrases and your stupid listeners repeat them. Wow, you ought to hit for the cycle with the insults there. <laughs> And uh, MD says, but are you good in the room? That's one of my favorite ones, too. He's good in the room. Morley and Scott always joke yeah. around. Well, he's good in the room. Sucks on the ice, though, but he's good in the room, so you better have him on the team. There are some doozies, aren't there? Again, I, the, the, the time and space one, again, for me, is just the number one of all time. Yeah. You really like that I, one. I, I just, playing the, playing the oh, right way is, yeah. is good for me. Well, how, yeah, well, yeah. Has a coach ever gone to a player and said, "Hey, play the right way"? Yeah. No, the coach goes to a player and say, "These are the details in your game that I would like you to work on." Nobody just says, "Play the right way." <laughs> That's the end result of doing other things yeah, that are different a, for every player. A few uh, expletives in there as well. 
7.52. Kevin Carius from Global Television will join us in studio every uh, Wednesday for the foreseeable future. Once we get going into hockey, we'll, I guess we'll do it Tuesday or Thursday or whenever or we can. Or whatever, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Or we'll just, I don't if know. there's a Wednesday game, I haven't really looked how many Wednesday games there are. Ah, there's always a few. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we've talked about our golf game. I've, I've shared, I've really opened up about my golf struggles throughout the summer. I think one night people thought I would needed therapy. Ryan Jesperson even called in to comfort me. <laughs> uh, I golfed today, broke 100, so I, I was happy. Uh, I have shot 100 or less, I believe, in four of my last six rounds, so that's progress for me. Uh, you were say, you brought up a funny story, though. Well, you're just talking about scores. So I, I went out on Saturday at the Windermere, got lucky enough to play out there, shot 84. Oh, and, you dominated. Yeah, and then the next day, so you think you got it figured out, next day you play at the ranch and probably shot 100. Yeah. You know, so it's a frustrating game for sure. But which led me to the story. That, uh, I think there was an article in a, in a publication that said... Um, if you could do one or the other, what would you do? And the, the first question was, uh, if you could be a scratch golfer. And the second question was, uh, if you could, would you marry, or if you could, uh, if it could happen, would you marry a supermodel? So between the supermodel and the golf, it was 78% to be a scratch golfer. I think I would pick scratch golf. Oh, I would too. <laughs> Absolutely. Why, why wouldn't you? Yeah, and then hopefully get her down to where you're shooting 65, 66, and not and a little better than scratch, and then you can get the supermodel. Right. You know. Yeah, or several of them yes. in uh, Tiger Woods' case. Though, yeah. well, I guess they weren't all supermodels. No. Tom Brady. <laughs> that was his wife. Just walked across the field at the opening ceremonies. Remember it? Eh? Oh yeah. What's her name? Giselle. Giselle. Giselle Bunchen. Bunchen. Yeah. Bunchen. Bunchen. Yeah, I don't. I don't. But, I don't uh, speak Portuguese. It was a big. Uh, big thing in Brazil for sure. Uh, yeah, but uh, that's what I, I love. I love the challenge of golf, and despite my frustration, here and here's the thing, Kevin. Since I had a couple lessons with with Taylor Sinskett at the quarry, I don't get as frustrated because when I hit a bad shot, I feel like, oh, I okay, I know what I have to do so that right. doesn't happen again. And I'm hitting, I'm hitting fewer really bad shots. And when I played today. I actually didn't hit my irons that well, mm -hmm. but they were all out there, and I was in play, and you know I wasn't putting the eight or the nine on the scorecard. It's like, hey, you got to suck up a double bogey. I'm not like I'm not great, no. But I'd sooner write down a six every now and then than an eight, and that's I'm kind of getting to that point. And I make an occasional par or whatever. It's the whole key to the game. Uh, George says my least favorite saying is that player is a driver. Well, there might be a guy on from noon to two who uses mm, that, uses that every once in a while. Yes. Um, drives that line, yeah. He's the driver of the line. Michael says the Oilers and the Eskimos need to learn to play a full game, play a full 60 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> here's, and here's the thing about sports. You talk about, well, play a full 60 minutes. I, I use that. But you, in, in pro sports, you never see a team dominate for 60 minutes. No, to me, just... pro sports is in, the, in that section of time where you dominate, how much damage can you do? Fair enough, but if you are a well-coached team and well-prepared team, you can dominate, and we've seen that. I think we've seen it in all sports, Reed. Uh, it doesn't happen very often. Well, sure, there are some extreme cases. You know, we have seen it. There, It's, it's happened for sure. I mean, you could look at, for instance, you can look at, uh, as an oiler, the last time that they dominated a game from 60 minutes from start to finish 
was game six of probably the 06 final against Carolina. Sure, but I'm saying the most kind of run-of-the-mill, muck-around NHL regular season games, a lot of times it comes down to seven minutes spaced out throughout the game. Well, that, Special again, teams, you know. The old saying, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the result of most games will come down to about three to five plays. So that's true then. There you go. <laughs> Uh, this texture says, best quote ever by Tommy Salo. Gene Principe asked his thoughts on why they lost the game. Well, Gino, they scored more goals than us. <laughs> I don't remember that, but that's probably true. Or maybe Gene said it. Oh, well, Tommy was a beauty. <laughs> All right, yeah, you got to go back to yeah. work. I get to stay here and work. Next Wednesday, same time, buddy? Yeah, we've got some good stories for next Wednesday. That is Kevin Carius from Global Television. Always great to have him in studio. We are going to keep rolling here with Inside Sports. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Mortley Scott's coming up. Then at 8.30, John Stanton from the running room is coming in. The Edmonton Marathon is this Sunday. Uh, there's also a half, a 10, and a 5K. I'm running the half. So remember, send in your questions about running. We already had a few people send them in because we did that with John last time, but we did it too late in the show, so we couldn't answer all of them. So text 6.30, 6.30 now, or uh, tweet me at Reed Wilkins, and then John can answer some stuff when he gets in. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.